Hey, this is Roy Osing, author of the book series, Be Different or Be Dead. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. Perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Welcome to today's episode. Great to have you with us again today. I have a wonderful guest with me. His name is Roy Osing. He is a former president, CMO, and entrepreneur with over 40 years of successful and unmatched executive leadership experience in every aspect of business. As president of a major data and internet company, his leadership and audacious unheard of ways took the company from its early stage to $1 billion in annual sales. He's a blogger, contact marketer, and mentor to young professionals. As an accomplished business advisor, he is the author of the no-nonsense book series, Be Different or Be Dead. And, and with the audacious unheard of ways, I took a startup to a billion of, in sales as his seventh. Awesome. Roy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dennis. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's great to have you here. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm in Vancouver, Canada. Rainy Vancouver. Very nice. Canada, very much. So we're a part of the Commonwealth, you and I, and yes. good to have you here. So thank you. Now, I've given our listeners a brief introduction to you. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us about your background? Well, I guess it's, as I reflect on it, I was very, very fortunate. I mean, I started out in the working world as a systems analyst because my my degree was in math and computer science. So I worked for a major telecom company in that capacity at a time when the business was going through this transformation from monopoly to, com- to a competitive world. And it occurred to me relatively young or early in my career that the challenges that we were facing with that change in business landscape uh, required us to do some different things. And that's kind of where I started to think about this be different notion. And so I spent copious amounts of time trying to figure out and encourage our organization at a very junior level in the organization to do some different things. That sort of predetermined my life in the organization. I was a guy that that was unsettled by constancy. I didn't like the status quo. I was worried that that we weren't doing the things that were going to make us survive and, and thrive in a highly competitive world. So I started spending my, my time going around and up the organization, basically practicing that be different sort of mantra, looking for things to change at a very sim- simple level. Like I am not an academic guy, don't believe in it. The textbooks can solve the problems of business, irrespective of the fact that people sometimes do. And that's a mistake. And we can get into that if you want. So I just started doing some basic 
fundamental things until I, I was fortunate enough to get a job as leading our data and internet company at a time when the business was just opening up. I mean, these were the days when dial-up was a really cool thing, right? Oh, <laughs> nice and cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so having the chance to build a business around a new market and to actually learn what it took to light fires in people so that we could execute better and move towards what eventually ended up to a billion dollars. That opportunity was super. I loved it. I get goosebumps every time I think about it. It was so much fun. And uh, yeah, so I'm a guy that looks at everything through a be different lens. I test myself to be different. And, and I honestly believe that now more than ever, Dennis, we need to have that ethic in organizations. Way too much copying going on, benchmarking best of class drives me insane, I got to tell you. Anyways, that's a bit about who Roy is. Oh, nice. How dare you talk about dialogue? I mean, that's just amazing, isn't it? It's, it's missing. It's, it's not there anymore. And, and, I, and Roy, I think you hit the nail on the head with what you're just saying about the dialogue and the other stuff that you're sharing, because whereas the days whereby you and I could actually have a discussion about a topic without both being offended, without both being judged on what we're saying. But you know what? You may have something that you're right about or that you have a, a point of view that I might learn something from you. And that's, I think, the big thing is the learning of each other is now lost without having that dialogue. Because, I mean, I don't know about a message on Messenger or a text message or something on Twitter. So many words can be interpreted so many different ways. And it's, it's just really interesting how people think and do that. And I think you're so right. It's missing that the, the ability to have a, a, a constructive dialogue. Well, there's a lot of passive communications going on. I mean, is the way I describe it. It's one way, et cetera. What, what I found worked for me, and really the business growth is a testament to the fact that it worked in the real world, was it was if you engage people, right, if you engage them in terms of their hearts, and their passion and their soul, and they believed in what they were doing, then the most important part of the business, i.e. execution, would flourish. There's way too much planning, Dennis. There's way too much planning going on and not, a, not enough executing. And the reason the execution doesn't happen is leaders don't get right into the trenches and start working with the people who own the execution process. And those are frontline people, people who deal with customers. And that whole piece is missing as well. So my hope is through these kinds of sessions to kind of like tweak somebody say, hey, what if you tried this? It's really simple. Does it work? Yes. You can trust that it works because my proof point is a billion in sales. This is the stuff yep. I did, right? It's not textbook stuff. It's real world practical stuff that works. So you can trust yep. it. Yeah, and it's real, as you said, real practical stuff. That's good. Now, you mentioned something before about academic and so forth, and sometimes it's a mistake, and so, and I think you're sort of touching on that, and you said we might want to talk a little bit more about it. So let's talk about it. I mean, you're talking about the academic side. What do you mean by that, Roy? Well, I, I just, my, my experience is that people are guided more by textbook readings than they are by what actually works in the practical real world that's complete with bias personal needs, etc. I want to say this is not a slam against textbook. Okay. What's a slam against is that when people put all their faith in what the textbook says is as a prescribed solution, then that's deadly. That's not good leadership. Okay. What I found is that, okay, certain formulas and certain kind of approaches may be reasonable as a guide, but at the end of the day, there's no substitute for actually moving off that position and doing something that can be executed. 
See, this is the thing, right? The textbook may give you the plan, but it will not inform you on execution because you're dealing with different people and different, different circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. So I just don't think it goes far enough. And there's not enough conversation in the world around how do we execute? How do we execute? It's all about it's about SWATs and, and, and you know, formulas and models and all this kind of stuff. That's fine as a place to start. But I keep telling people because we did it. It will not take you to where you need to get to. There's more to it in terms of winning than just adhering to the textbook. Unfortunately, right, our system is heavy on academics and it's light on execution. Okay. And perhaps it's because there's there's not enough people like me and you with your experience out there talking to students about why this perspective is so important. But you know, through venues like this, my hope is we should keep banging away at it, Dennis, banging away at it in hopes that we can make some little difference and get people thinking differently. Yeah, absolutely, Roy. And that's that's why I do this podcast as well, is it's about the voice of yours, myself, and, and being heard, but also helping other voices be developed and heard as well. And yeah, oh, wow, I love what you're saying about the execution piece because it's, it's spot on. I mean, number of people who buy a book but never read it, so hopefully from osmosis, they'll pick up the information, but that doesn't happen. And then for those of you that do actually might read it, they go, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And they go, great. So what are you going to do with it? And they do nothing with it. And then they go into another book. You're so right. It is, And it's the key word that you just use. It's a guide. And the guide is there. It's what you do with it is what counts, which is really, really important. Part, part of it is what's in the book. Okay, like, like this. I know we're jumping ahead, but this is a how-to book. It's a manual on how to do things. It's not a prescription of what to do more. It's more about, here are ideas that worked, okay? These are not theoretical ideas. They worked. And if you follow them, and here's how, here's, here's a, if you want to prescribe anything, here's how to actually execute on it. So it's a how-to book. All my, my I've written, this is now my seventh book. They're all how-to books. And sometimes they're repetitive, Dennis. Because I believe people learn in a different way. And so I'm just going to keep banging away on the premise of executing, simplicity, honesty, candor, all these complicated concepts, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not complicated at all. We just don't do them. We don't teach them. Well, I think we make it complicated as human beings. We, we complicate it. But it, as you said, it's simple stuff that what we need to do is actually implement and get on with it. Easy for you and I to say, but not always easy to do. And, and we're not saying that it is, it is easy. It's just saying that you've got to get on with it as well. And so for our listeners, uh, Roy was just showing his book. And if you haven't read, go and check it out. Be Different Will Be Dead. It's a wonderful book to, to check out as well. So, Roy, how did you get into leadership? Well, actually, yeah, I, I thought about an interesting question. I, I didn't really get into it. I kind of grew into it. The process that I, that I described a bit earlier about just constantly being in a state of trying to change things in, in little ways that got noticed. So I was, I, look at, I mean, I was a guy learning marketing and customer service in a world that was dominated by engineers. That was a telecom space. And so I, I had to fight for attention to get things done. And so I spent a lot of time trying to come up with simple things that could be done and convince people that they were, they were sort of modicums of change. I was trying to take this big ship and kind of get it moving in a little bit. And if I did enough of that, we would see some larger changes and that would transcribe into better performance and the ability to survive the onslaught of competition, because that's what was happening to us. So as I did that, 
I had the opportunity to get moved around the organization quite a bit. So I did operations jobs. I did, I was vice president, EVP of marketing and sales. I was EVP of operations. So I learned the power of the front line firsthand. I, I learned to love them because they would return that love in the way of superlative execution. I just learned that stuff. Right. So I just kind of went around and then boom, at the very end of my career, I had the chance of, of working on in the data world that was just coming up. And my God, it was better than dial up. I mean, we had some incredible opportunities, <laughs> incredible opportunities to build a business. And people will say to me, well, how did you do that? What, what was it? I tagged them these be different audacious ways that I talk about in my latest book. They're, they're small, simple easy ideas, light fire and people, get the emotions going, get the passions going. And by the way, at the end of the day, they drive performance. I want to make one thing really clear to your, your listeners. I didn't do any of this to be cute. I didn't do it to be cool in terms of ideas. All of these things were meant to do one thing, and that was drive top line revenue. If it didn't drive top line revenue, I wasn't interested in doing it. And so, so that's another thing that people can say is it, we're going to talk about things like cut the crap and other things. You can be sure that if you did something like this, it will drive top line. And the reason you can be sure of that is I did it. Proof point is a billion. Pretty hard to argue with that. Blows me away, Dennis, when I think about that. It blows me away. Yeah, very much so. So if it doesn't drive the top line revenue, don't do it. It's simple as that, listeners, and, and the proof is in the pudding, as we say it, uh, Roy. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. Hey, um, who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? You're going to laugh at this, okay? Because I had fun with this one. I had fun with all your questions. My favorite leader, unfortunately, is is uh, no longer with us. And his name is Jerry Garcia. Now, Jerry Garcia was the leader of the rock band, The Grateful Dead. Now, you're probably too young to remember The Grateful Dead. But, but The Grateful Dead was a rock band. The most famous touring rock band in history was in fact the Grateful Dead. It was not the Beatles. It was not all of these other. It was the Grateful Dead. Okay. Why do I think Jerry Garcia was an amazing leader? Well, far, first of all, he was way ahead of his time. I mean, he basically lived be different. He didn't talk about it that way. Here's a guy that did communications with his fans long before social media existed, actively engaged with them all the time. Here's a guy. Here's a guy that would show up with his band and say, literally, what are we going to play tonight? So he would mix it up. So just kind of like change up all the time and representing a different face for their fans was what he did. And one other thing that, that really amazed me was the fact that, that he was a contrarian. He went against the flow. Now, this was at a time when people were protecting copyrights of music. They weren't allowing people to, to record and share their music, right? This is it back in the day, but he recognized that that was really dumb. That if you wanted to increase the value of your music, you had to share it. And so he literally at concerts, he built portions of a stadium and stand to allow people to record the dead's music. And of course, the recording industry went apoplectic with this. They thought, oh my God, what's Jerry doing? He's going to ruin our business. Well, Jerry didn't ruin their business. It made him and his band the number one touring rock band in, in the world, literally. And people loved him. They Fans loved him. The other thing he did, I'll just one more thing here, is he actually kept his special deals for his loyal fans. Now think about it. 
Dennis, when you look at the TV, how many offers do you see when people say, if you leave your supplier and come to us, you're going to get a free TV? In other words, what they do is they they provide the benefits to somebody who's with somebody else to encourage them to join your team. Okay, first of all, I find that offensive and morally destructible, quite frankly, because if I've been with you for 10 years, why don't you give me the best deal first? But you don't do that. Garcia figured this out. He says, special deals will go to my fans, and and maybe if there's any left over, we'll use them to entice new fans to come, but not as a first. So this was a guy who was way ahead of his time in a business that was highly competitive, and he did one more thing. He introduced the strategic concept, okay, that I came back on, and he inspired me with his concept, and it's called the only statement. You know, it's a way to describe your competitive advantage by by, by avoiding claptrap like better, best, premium, market leader, which means nothing, right? It's called the only statement. The only statement says we are the only ones that. It's binary. Garcia, here's what he said. You don't want merely to be the best of the best. You need to be the only one who does what you do. Jerry Garcia, leader. The Grateful Dead, way ahead of his time. He, I get goosebumps when I think of that. I got to tell you, it is so profound. I've taken that. I use it. I use it with clients. I will not let them get away with claptrap, Dennis, like better and best, because read a newspaper, check out anything online. That's how people describe their advantage. It makes no sense. Yeah, cool. So Jerry Garcia is my favorite leader. By the way, my second, I'm not going to go there, but my follow-up second mention is Lady Gaga. Oh, nice. Very good. <laughs> so uh, really interesting because when you said his name, it was like, who? And But then when you actually share what, he, what he's done, you go like, wow, that is so cool. And Roy, if you were to have the opportunity, I don't know if you've ever met him, but if, if you were to have the opportunity to meet with him on a park bench and have a coffee with him, what would be one question you would ask him? Where the heck did you come up with the only statement? That's what I would ask just boom. Nice. Where did you come up with that? Like embodied it. Just think about this. This is several years ago in the day when rock and roll was was done through through people showing up on fields in the 60s and 70s. Right. This is where this happened. Capturing the hearts and souls of people outside for him, for anybody to have that vision in terms of how to articulate competitive differential advantage. That just blows me away just blows me away. That's great. Yeah. The other thing is, I mean, he spent, that band created mind-blowing customer experiences as well, but that's another story. But he just leveraged that that stuff. He was fantastic. And I want to know, I want to know what he was thinking when he wrote it, when he wrote The Only. That's, That's a very good question. Well done. So listeners, thing here is, he might have actually come up with that, that terminology about we only but uh, it's not, it's so what? There's another terminology. It's what you do with it again, what Roy was saying, execution. It's around that execution of it, what you do and you're putting it into place. Now, Roy, the name of the show here is Leadership is Changing. When I say that title of the show or that statement, what does that mean for you? That was, really, that was a very interesting question because I came up with, with a different title because from my point of view, the tag we should be talking about is leadership must change. My thing is leadership is changing, but I'm not happy with where it is. I'm not happy with the speed. I'm not happy with the quality, okay, because it's still hanging on to precepts, which quite frankly are promulgated by theoreticians and professorial kinds of people, as opposed to you and I in the trenches 
dealing with people, dealing with customers, dealing with competitors, and learning what really works. So I think leadership must change. And, and what that means to me, if we want to perform, if we want the performance of our organizations to reach levels that they're capable of, we need different leaders. We can't get there with what we got. And we can't rely on the momentum established by the, fa- by the past, Dennis, to get us there fast enough. So I would like you to consider its leadership must change. And then the question is, why? Why must it change? Great question. Opens the door up for the conversation around cut the crap, killing dumb rules, hiring for goosebumps, fingerprint leadership, all the stuff that I did that worked for me that nobody talks about. And they won't unless we change the narrative. So it must change. It must change. We are at a, at a, at a tipping point, I believe, in organizations. We're going to talk later about our employee expectations changing. And my view is going to be, my answer is going to be no, because we haven't listened to them as leaders. They've always told us, they've always told us that they need our help. They always told us that they needed changes in the workplace, et cetera, et cetera. These, these, are, these are basic need stuff that they still complain about. So leadership must change. They must talk about the only statement to make their organizations competitively definable. They must change the perspective from planning to execution. I was asked on an earlier show, well, what does that look like? Well, I'll tell you, it means 20% of your time should be on the plan. 80% of your time should be on how to execute it, which is exactly the opposite to the way things are done. I wrote my first book, Dennis, in 2009. Nothing has changed on that. Nothing. It's still 80-20 on planning. So we need you and I as really the, the drivers of this kind of change process, we must tell people leadership must large letters change. And here's why. And here are the things that you can consider doing, because if you don't do it that way, nothing's going to happen. I don't trust momentum to deliver us a different leadership model. I don't trust it because I've looked at it for 13 years yep. and I've witnessed very little other than the brilliance of people who would have been brilliant anyways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm sorry I threw a screw into that question, but I, no, I, I think it's great. I'd rather be talking about must. It's so important. Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, leaders must change and be different. It's probably a summary of what we've been talking about, which is really, really quite cool. And I, I think it's fantastic. Now, the thing is, uh, Roy, you and I and, and our listeners here, they we all live in a world that's just fast-paced, ever-changing around data, social technology, business, leadership, everything. What makes a leader successful in that fast-paced, ever-changing world today? Yeah, and I think I think for me, it's the understanding and the adoption of a role that tries to create a re- reaction culture. That word creates a lot of angst with a lot of people who read a lot of textbooks. Well, it's it's improper for us to react, right? We should be planning. We should be be proactive, not reactive. Well, the reality is, right, in this world, defined as you just defined it, That's terribly impractical. And if you can get away with it once or twice, good for you. But for most of us mere mortals, we're going to be hit by unexpected events and body blows that knock us off our our pace. The key for us and the key for leadership is to be able to absorb that energy and direct it towards survival, absorb and redirect. Now, we don't teach leaders this, right? We teach them that it's bad to react, I say successful businesses have got reaction cultures. They have to have that because that's the way the world is. It can't be neat and tidy 
it's going to be messy and inelegant, okay? So if you're not used to playing in the messy, inelegant world, you shouldn't be in leadership today. If you actually believe you can run a business with formulas, you're out of your freaking mind, right? You should not be a leader. And, And so leaders need to be, they need to chew up change, right? They need to focus on execution. They need to be the only ones that do what they do. They need to ask, how can I help? It's how can I help leadership, right? It's not command and control. They need to spend more of their time with the front line rather than the board of directors because results are through frontline people, not the board. So in other words, it's, it's a complete change. It's like a re-engineering of our whole leadership culture and structure driven by practicality, Dennis, practicality. What works in the real world? What is part of humanity? How people deal with people? It's not based on what the formulas predict. Yeah. None of that. So that's a pretty big piece of work that has to be done. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, the thing that comes to me when you're, you're mentioning all this is the fact that sometimes a lot of these uh, formulas and things like that, they're important. But then the thing is that, that don't hide behind them. We need to get out there and do the practical things, as you say, right? So that's, that's really, really important. You going to say something? Yeah, they, they become scapegoats and they they're become shield of, of the non-performance. Which is which I discovered. Well, after all, I mean, the, the regression analysis that we did showed that we would deliver X dollars worth of sales and we came in short. So therefore, our assumptions that we put in the equation are wrong. So they changed the uh, assumptions that deliver exactly what they want to see, but they didn't do anything differently in terms of behavior. Like it drives me crazy. The standard model is not numbers driven. I'm a numbers driven planner. And the reason for that is the nature of the number, for example, how big do you want to be is the first question I ask in my strategic game planning process. It's a statement of growth. How big do you want to be in 24 months? By the way, five-year plans don't exist. 10-year plans don't exist. 24-month plans exist. And they're called months because they're, they're 24 periods of 30 days. And that keeps you focused on execution. How big do you want to grow your top-line revenue? It's not about net income. It's not about EBITDA. It's about top line because that line expresses market demand. So when you say, do I want to be a $10 million company in 24 months or do I want to be a $50 million company? It makes a difference to the strategy, right? The character of the strategy is driven by the number. And so I say, lead with the numbers, then create the strategy. The problem is that's never done. What happens is the strategy is built. You know, some genius looks at the number that comes out at the end and says, that's no good. And that's normally the CFO. So everybody goes back and changes the assumptions without changing the strategy and they expect different results. How insane, Dennis, is that? But that's what they do. So my process says that we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it differently. We're going with numbers first. Then we're going to describe, I call it the who to serve. Go after the customer groups that's going to give you that revenue that have the latent potential for that demand. And then the third piece is how are you going to compete and win? That's the only statement. And that's how we do it. Two days, Dennis, and we got a plan that can be executed. That's all it takes. Awesome. And it's not a whole bunch. We don't get subject matter experts running in, talking to us about swats and tots and drops and everything. We just get them in. <laughs> and, I, and I'm making a lot of friends, right? Take them through the problem. Yeah, I could just see some listeners going like, oh, all this stuff I've studied, out the window. <laughs> I think the thing here, though, listeners, is is you know what Roy's saying is it's based on him living it every single day and helping other people do it. So it works. He knows that, and you know that too, listeners, and I know it as well. Is that 
you can have the best shiny car that you've got. You've got the best house you've got and all that sort of stuff. But unless you do some real practical things and get on with things, it doesn't mean that doesn't mean not even SWAT. It doesn't mean squat. And so I think that's that's really, really important. Now, Roy, you've already talked about the employees' expectations and touched on that already. Is there anything else you want to add to that? No, I, I just I just think there like there's an argument that's made that that says leadership is changing because employee needs have changed. They draw that, that linkage. And I, I have trouble with that because I think they're two separate things. Leadership must change because, quite frankly, they've done an abysmal job of satisfying employee needs that really haven't changed. Look at people. People expect leadership to make it easier for them to do their jobs by getting rid of the crap in the environment that's preventing them from moving forward, to get rid of the politics, to get rid of the bad middle managers, blah, 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 that's cursing them and causing the problems. It's like cleansing the environment. And when you do that, it opens up bandwidth that these people have to get the job done. They've always expected us to do that, Dennis. It's, that hasn't changed. It's just that we've never really done a very good job of it. And so I think what we have to do is we've got to get right back to basics, spend more time with frontline people, and not just frontline people, but all employees really get to understand them and ask the magic question, how can I help? And then be held accountable for delivering answers based on the question you just asked, because there's a great way to lose credibility, and that is to ask the question and not do anything about it. And we know some people who do that, right? And so... I just getting back to some basic engagement tools, I think, at the human level, listening, asking questions, clarifying needs. I know this sounds pedantic as hell, but it it works. It's what we need. You know, the days of the leader going out and pronouncing strategy to the organization and his their wisdom, right, of understanding the numbers behind all the formulas, those those days are really gone. Nobody believes that stuff anymore. They want to believe that somebody has got passion and emotion and honesty and integrity, and they're there for them. So let's get those people in positions of of authority. And that's where I see leadership going, quite frankly, which kind of gets into your next question, I guess. But Well, let's go there because I'm going to actually ask you, Roy, to get your crystal ball out here and um, let's start talking about the future here. Where do, where do you see leadership being in five years? Look, you probably know me by now. I'm going to obfuscate that a little bit and say – I don't know for sure. Just like I didn't know we were going to end up at a billion. I didn't. All I knew is the market was growing fast. We had a tremendous opportunity. If we did things right, we set order of magnitude goals, which drove innovation. By the way, if you know how to do something, you can't be innovative, right? That's why I hate benchmarking. Anyways, take me off the side. So back on this thing. Roy, Roy, I actually say for those people who set goals, do you know how to get there? Yeah, yeah. Well, then it's not a goal. It's a task. Just go and do it now. It's wussy. You want to be a wussy, then you know what, how to do it. But but in this particular case, we ended up getting there by simply setting audacious goals, not knowing how and innovating to get the goal. So I always used to say, create, no, don't copy, right? So get away from the benchmarking stuff. Let's Let's get there. So what I hope is that there will be a sufficient number of people who will just do a couple of things differently every day and give up something that's no longer relevant. And that over time, that will create, particularly at the leadership level, it'll create the nature of change that we need. I'm not unrealistic to to say, well, you know, we're going to have this puppy nailed in five years. Leadership and people have grown into leadership positions, believing that what they were doing was right. Okay. And And the system rewarded them for doing that. 
I have no issue with that. It is what it is. Okay. But it needs to be something different. And so let's start talking like you and I are talking about. Let's start talking about what dumb rules mean in organizations. What do you mean by hiring for goosebumps, Roy? Why is that a key element in recruiting? Well, it was an essential. It's at that level. Let's get that conversation and fun and passion going and get people trying to do a couple of different things. If we can do that, if we can do that, we'll take that great big bulge in the middle of the bell curve of leaders and we'll move them 2%, right? And when we do that, wow, we will have done an amazing thing and watch the change motion start to begin. So I hope in the next five years, we can make some significant progress. The other thing is, look at, I, we need a different perspective on delegation because I think there's a lot of leaders that, that confuse delegation and just avoiding responsibility, to be honest. So I've come up with this notion called fingerprint leaders. Now, the fingerprint leader is a do-it-yourself leader who dives in into the to trenches, right, to help Right. So they're not sitting way up there in the in the uh, ionosphere promulgating policy. They get right down there and do it. That's a completely different persona of a leader. And it's not going to take it. We're not going to get there overnight. To actually get people to feel comfortable putting their fingerprints on things that matter. Dennis, there are things in the, in the organization that it matters to have the leader's fingerprints. For example, architecting the, the customer moment. If you want dazzling service experiences, the leader should have their fingerprints on what that looks like. You don't delegate that. You don't. They're accountable for that. Boom. Because it's why? Because creating customer experiences is a key strategic imperative. So why not? But they don't do it. Getting people and recruiting them and promoting people into leadership positions that allow them to do things like that, it's going to take time. But we need to start now talking about it. Well, Roy, what do you mean by by fingerprint leadership and have that conversation? And when people learn about it, Dennis, they go, oh, wow, (laughs) pretty simple, right? So I hope we can make some good progress in five years. Yeah, absolutely. And significant progress made by doing those small changes, team, listeners. I think that's really, really wonderful. Hey, Roy, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get a hold of you, where should they go? So my website is the best place probably. It's bedifferentorbedead.com. Uh, they'll see my blog. I blog every week about my stuff, about these crazy ideas. They'll also have access to the books that I've written and where they can go to get a book if, if they would like. And as well, my email is roy.osing at gmail.com. For heaven's sakes, reach out, talk to me. Love to have a conversation about how to do some of this stuff and whatever. It's just, uh, it's all good. So please engage. Uh, that's what I ask. And, and Dennis, I, I'm grateful to have for you to have me on your show. I really am. Thank you, Roy. Thank you so much for joining us. Leaders must change and be different. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 